Good morning. It's wonderful to be with the Lord together. You all well? Yeah. Love to worship. Had many tears. It's just good to worship the Lord. It really, really is. So we're gonna. I'm just gonna jump right in for the sake of time. But I just obviously want to say welcome, and especially to the visitors. It's wonderful to have you with us. And um, yeah, it's just wonderful. We have a value and a heart for worship in this body. And it is, Moses never said, let my people go so that they can learn to preach. He said, let my people go so that they may worship me. Yeah? I want to say hello to Laura. She's uh, one of our old youth is visiting today. Sorry. So it's good to see you. So, all right. So, you guys good? Look what happens when you vote. Yeah. So, like, do it again, you know, next time. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Uh, encounter night. We have an encounter night coming this week, uh, Saturday. I encourage you to come. We worship like we've just worshipped just much longer. So, that's the best description I can give it. And God does wonderful things in our midst. But even if he doesn't do something that you want, he's worth worship regardless of what he does or does not do. That's why you've heard us say it again, and we keep saying it. It's kind of funny, but it's true. And people say, yeah, I didn't really enjoy the worship today. We always say, that's okay, because we weren't worshiping you. So we encourage you to come. We encourage you to come. So I wonder if you go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, please. We've been in a series of simple devotion for those of you who remember, hopefully most of you, because it wasn't that long ago. But it was just a week. But we just going through a series called Simple Devotion coming out of the message that we watched by Andrew Brunson, the gentleman who was arrested for his faith in Turkey. And he talked about when he was arrested, he figured even though he had been in ministry for years, he didn't have the simple devotional, just a simple devotional life. And his wife did and the, the contrast between them. And when I heard that, I just, God just put it in my heart just to talk about basic simple devotional things that actually are practical, things that we can do every day, and things that we can put into our lives. So we started with prayer, which I trust was helpful, and uh, just basics of prayer. And last week, Dwayne spoke on trust, which I thought was outstanding. I really thought was outstanding. Dwayne is away with words. Uh, he is a lawyer, but it's also because God speaks through him. And, uh, but this week, I want to speak on something which is fellowship. Biblical fellowship. So if you can go in your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2. I'm actually going to read it in the NIV. And uh, even though I have the New King James open here, but I'm going to read it in the NIV over here. After Peter had preached, he stood up and preached a message. And uh, it was the outset, in a sense, of, this, of the covenant that God had made, the new covenant. And at the outset of the first covenant, just so we're aware, just for interest for those of you who love to understand some of these things. It says in, uh, in the Old Testament that when they put the Old Testament, the, the law into place, it says about, on that day about 3,000 people died. And there was an interesting, <laughs> they did stuff wrong, they were, you know, about 3,000 people perished. But on this day, it literally has the same wording, it says about 3,000 people got saved. The difference between the two covenants. And so Peter preached the message, about 3,000 people got saved, and then he says this. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 40, but I think it comes up from 40, verse 42 behind you. How many of you have actual Bibles here? 
Please hold them up real high. Great. Use them. So, with many other words, Acts 2 verse 40, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves, can we say devoted? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. People always ask, what is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching, in a sense, is the New Testament. We have to have some context, and now I'm getting distracted, but we have to have some context what this passage comes out of. They had grown up thousands of years. All these people that had just got saved had grown up that their entire lives were dictated by the law from the moment they woke up to the moment they went to sleep. What they dressed, what they ate, what they said, what they did, the way they thought. Now, Jesus has come and fulfilled the law and they get saved according to the New Testament and the Spirit of God comes down and starts to take residence within them. 3,000 people get saved. Now they go home and say, like, now what? What do we do? So they had to pay close attention to the apostles' doctrine because the apostles were searching Scripture and by the revelation that the Holy Spirit was giving, in a sense, wrote Scripture, but they're saying, this now is how we live. Hello? And they birthed something, the church, by the Holy Spirit, but their whole world changed. I, I don't think we can appreciate. Their whole world, marriages, the roles in marriages, Different, everything was different between men and women. Everything, God just, just changed everything like that. And it affected their practical daily lives more than I think we can even fathom. And so now these people get saved. So the apostles' doctrine is, in a sense, now the New Testament. And it says here, um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine of the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We covered prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. Can we say every day? Well, that's interesting. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage has been read, preached on many times. I've heard it many times, but I, I continue to study it. We see something here that is part of God's desire for his New Testament church. And obviously this is the church in its infancy. But they actually held all their possessions in common trusts. Think about that. Think about the level of trust that was between them. There was prayer that they did together, and it was daily prayer. They were with one mind, the Bible says. And all of this, in a sense, can be bound up in the one word, fellowship. How important is biblical fellowship? If I can just be real and honest, when I moved to the United States, and I know the United States is almost like multiple countries in one, there's so many cultures, but the culture here in Northern Virginia, when I moved here, the, the lack of fellowship that is propagated naturally by the culture was a shock to me. It really was. And that doesn't make us bad or whatever it was. It's just not part of this culture. It's just not part of the natural, open-hearted, open doors, fellowship, it's just not. And I came from that. And so it was a, a bit of a, a shock. 
And, but they, biblical fellowship is something that is so important and so powerful that they actually made a choice. The, the New King James says they continued steadfastly in it, meaning there were times when it wasn't easy. It took devotion. There was something over all the things they could have devoted themselves to. They said, we actually have to devote ourselves to fellowship. And they understood. They had customs and understandings and I think have long been forgotten. So I want to quickly look into those, some of them today. Why is it so important? Why is biblical fellowship so important? You know, when we, when we used to do youth retreats, you know, there's the intense, me, the intense one. Intense, let's pray for 20 hours and let's fast and let's, you know, do all the, the intense and bring the glory and the power of God. And that's good. God makes people that way. But something I learned over time was that the fellowship that the young people would have, the fun, the laughter, the fellowship, was as much a propellant of the God's power than all the supernatural stuff. It literally has the same effect. And I noticed that without fostering that fellowship, a lot of what God, in a sense, wanted to do either didn't happen or a lot of what God did didn't have a place to land. It's so important. It's so important. So, have you ever considered that devoting yourself to fellowship, in the scripture, they saw that as devoting themselves as a part of an expression of how to devote themselves to the Lord. They devoted themselves to one another as an expression of their devotion to Him. We, in the Western world, we separate those two. In the Bible, they are the one and the same. Hello? So, this is the first expression of life in the New Testament church. Now, we're going to look at that word fellowship. Most of you have probably heard this before. It's koinonia. Koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship there. It's a very important word. It means fellowship, community, joint participation, intercourse. It means shared and in common. Exhibiting and embodying embodying, sorry, the embodiment and the proof of fellowship. In other words, it's fellowship that actually looks like something. It's not just feelings. It has practical outcomes. And that's, you see, they shared and had everything in common. So, can we pray? I'm going to quickly pray that God would open our hearts and God would speak to us and give us individual and personal revelation of what biblical fellowship is, what's possible. Can we do that? Father, we thank you for your word and we open our hearts here as a body and as individuals. And Holy Spirit, we ask, and I encourage you to just do that in your heart. We ask, even if we think we know, that you would open our hearts and open our eyes and our culture to fellowship, to koinonia fellowship, biblical, close relationships in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we go into some of those uh, what we see in Scripture. I want to speak to you about a principle of fellowship. Something that uh, I've heard someone call it this, the offspring of fellowship. With you, whatever you fellowship with or who you fellowship with actually has an impact on you. It has an impact on you. It will birth something in the human heart. 
It's actually why the, 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 the Jewish or Hebrew understanding of the word koinonia, even though it's a Greek word, the understanding they had of fellowship, that you can fellowship with things, you can fellowship with people, which I'm going to explain. But that word, the, the understanding of intercourse, it wasn't just the deepest kind of fellowship you can have between a married couple physically. It wasn't just meaning that. They understood as a culture, what you fellowship with will give birth to something. In your heart. In your mind. It actually gives birth to something. I'm going to read you a quote. It's actually, growing up, my dad, I cannot tell you the amount of times, partly because my friends were an interesting bunch of hooligans, but he would always say to me, Clayton, bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15.33. And it struck me that it never determines how good that character is or how bad that company is. It just says, this is what happens. Listen to this. Desires are formed within us according to what we fellowship with. We need to ask, with what or with whom am I in communion with? Because the offspring of my heart is desire. And that desire is formed by whatever I fellowship with. The offspring, the result of what I fellowship with, in a sense, has an offspring. And that is desire within me. Reads desires, beliefs, thoughts. So... What we fellowship with is actually very, very important. So, what does the Bible say? If you look at that word koinonia, what does the Bible say you can actually have fellowship with? Obviously with people, but what else? I've just listed a few here. We're going to just read them out. Psalm 94, verse 20 says, Do not have fellowship with thrones of iniquity which devise evil by law. Interesting verse. Acts 2 talks about fellowship within the church. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says that we have the fellowship. It actually says we have fellowship with the Father. But it says that when we get saved, Jesus has actually invited us into the type of fellowship he has with the Father. He says, come have the type of fellowship I have with God the Father. I'm inviting you into that. That's 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 10 says, do not have fellowship with demons. Hello. Through agreement. That's how you fellowship with them, through agreeing with what they're trying to do, just through the power of agreement. Galatians 2 talks about fellowship in the Great Commission. Paul and Barnabas, James, Peter, and John. That word is used, koinonia. They had fellowship in their partnership of the Great Commission. Galatians 5 says, have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Koinonia. Have no intimate, close relationship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, which is basically the systems of the world and the culture they hold up, don't fellowship with it. Jesus said it this way, you can be in the world, but don't be of it. See, we have to understand, friends, it's not even the Old Testament law, the New Testament. I, I've tried to bring this across so many different ways for years. When God gave the law, or there's so many, in a sense, commands in the New Testament, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, or do this, and we see it through a legalistic mind, like God's a God of rules. If we can understand, the Bible says God is spirit. So he says, don't do this. Because he knows something we don't know. He knows when you do X, this happens here. There's a supernatural, there's, a, there's something in the spirit realm that happens when you do that. So don't do it. When you do this, this happens. We can't see this. And so we say, well, God's just taken away my fun. And God, he's like, no, no, no. It's like a parent. Don't run off the cliff, my son. I want to. Yeah, but don't. It's all of the New Testament is like that. He's saying, don't do this or you must do this. Not because he, for rules sake. 
He says, this creates something that you can't see. There's a spiritual reaction. Please, my son, my daughter, don't do that. Philippians 1.5, fellowship. Again, partnership in the gospel. Philippians 3.10 talks about the fellowship of sharing, the, the intimate closeness of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That word is pathema. It's not sickness. Because Jesus made a payment for that. Hello? But that word is pathema. You know what it means? Yes, it means affliction and hardship. But actually, more accurately, it means passions and affections. And the meaning there is if when God puts something into your heart so deep, it causes passion and affection for him to rise up. And if you follow that, it will give you hardship in this world. But there's such a closeness to the Lord there that you're like, I'm going to do this no matter what brings with it because of my love for him, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Things, we're going to say this many times, things are going to be formed in me as the offspring of what I fellowship with. We, ha we have to see it. Never before has technology created something, I'm going to read you this, that has put all the world before you in a small screen. This. This is causing people, when they are with others, ranging from the general public to a family sitting around a table, where each one of them is separated because they have made a choice to be immersed in the world of their creation. Tailored according to their choices, according to their pleasures. I wrote this yesterday. While the actual people right next to them might as well be a thousand miles away. They are missing out on genuine fellowship with the person next to them because the culture's forgotten it. And it's one of the expressions they've actually said it releases dopamine even in children, which is actually an addictive issue, because it makes them feel more like God. They're creating their own world. And then their world submits to them. <laughs> There's nothing evil about this intentionally. It's what we call amoral, like money. Money can be used for good or for bad. But the overwhelming fruit of that is the destruction of genuine fellowship and family. You know, if you look at... <laughs> a person like me, I always want to... Let's pray. Let's go worship. But some, let's, let's pray for healing. Let's, let's do something that way. That's part of how I'm wide. God made me like that. Let's read the scripture. Let's, you know, let's seek God's face. But sometimes more than a sermon, more than a, a great powerful move, more than all of that, people just need fun and laughter and family and fellowship. And I went to all the Brazilians, Colombians, and all those people. I went to their house the other week. They invited me to the home. You know, the whole world comes let me tell you, it was some of the best fun I've had forever, and it was awesome. And I was, you know, we played sport, and there was something so godly in that that I missed. I grew up like that. My wife will tell you, on the way home, I just said, oh, that's fellowship. We can learn things from different cultures, friends. So powerful. So I find often people go practice practically. They go from the, the prayer closet or the worship straight away, and now they fellowship. And fellowship starts to happen when a person relaxes, when they let down their guard, you know? 
and they go and they need a, they need a, they need to just veg or so what do they do? They fellowship with Netflix for three hours. They fellowship with a screen, and then they wonder why desires, passions, thoughts, things are being built up inside them. It's actually causing a battle inside them. They are unintentionally inviting themselves to battles God never asked you to fight through fellowship. This is biblical principle. What you fellowship with will birth something in you. When you fellowship with the Lord, when you make his presence the single goal of your life, what he wants is formed within you. The way he thinks is formed within you. The way he sees people is formed within you. So that people can shout at you in your face and you're thinking, who hurt them? Are they okay? Because you, you emulate those you hang around with. We've all heard it. As teenagers, I heard it a thousand times. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You know, and people always say, you know, I've preached this before, some, something like this. And people say, well, you know, Jesus was a friend of singers. He hung, hung around sinners. Okay, number one, he's Jesus. That's great. But number two, it's not true. He did, but he mostly hung around with his people, his disciples. There's a big difference between those you reach out to and those you've come to bless and save versus those you actually call your own. So, can I read you something out of this book real quick? Fellowship, the power of fellowship. This is a book called There Is More where Randy Clark read this years ago and it just sprung up in my heart while I was preparing. And this is one of these guys who, you know, the Lord takes him to places in the spirit and shows him and that might make you uncomfortable but it, it happens all the time. And so the Lord took him to this place and he showed him the city, I'm reading now, and right above it was a giant ball of fire and it was the, the cry of the people, people have been praying. It was the Lord's fire of revival and a giant move of his spirit for that city. But it was being held above the city by a big giant net. And the fireball was big and bulging, and just wanting to break. And every, every once in a while, some of that fire would drip through the net and touch people or a local church, and people would be encouraged. Sometimes bigger pieces of fire would fall, and the people of God would be changed. But that big fire, that big sphere, what God wanted to do, was still suspended over the city, being prohibited from falling by the net. And I was asked... The Lord asked him, do you want to see what the net is that is stopping the ball from the fire falling? Most people think, sin or this. What is it? I did. I said, yes, I do. And he brought me close and he showed me and he looked closely at the net. And on the net was written the words, unforgiveness and broken relationships. Because biblical fellowship is as much a proponent of revival as prayer. It really is. And so sometimes believers have this longing for Christian community and they have this longing for the result of fellowship. And they keep getting hurt. And they keep getting hurt. And they keep getting hurt. And they bounce from people place to place, group to group. And sometimes they're the most hyper-spiritual people I've noticed as well. Because the focus is they want to experience what they deem a Christian community should look like. And that way it'll never happen. It happens when we ask the Lord, teach me to love people 
practical people how you love, and then that will start to happen. The focus when it's outward versus what affects me. So, priority of fellowship. Number two, the, priori the priority of fellowship, biblical fellowship between believers, kinonia, is one of the building blocks of how God transforms society. People are getting saved into a context. They're not getting saved into a church, they're getting saved into a family. The government structure of heaven is a father and a son. Think about it. Everything is family. Everything. I hear people say many times, and you've heard me say this, oh, I don't like God's people or, you know, I'm, I, Jesus I love, but his people. Go tell that to a husband who loves his wife. You're awesome, but I hate her. And see how your relationship with him goes. Because we're the bride of Christ. Seriously. And <laughs> it, it wouldn't work. Or people, you know, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need people. Just me and Jesus. Really? Really? I used to think that. And God, God had to deal with this in my heart. Because I'm, I'm okay by myself. So I thought. What struck me was in the beginning, God created Adam. And there was absolutely nothing between God and Adam. I mean, think about that. They walked together. They spoke together. It was made in the image and likeness before there was ever sin in the world. There was no fall in nature. There was perfect communion. And yet God made Eve. Think about that. It's just me and Jesus. Really? He made another one. He said, it's not good that she's alone. He wasn't alone. God was with him. But he said... He actually needs human companionship. Even before the fall. Imagine this. Imagine every person you prayed for was healed. Everyone. Every time. Instant. Everyone. Right? Imagine, that would be great, but maybe it wouldn't. Listen why. Fast forward a few months. The world would know that. Literally. The world would know. People would be flying from all over. I heard someone give this example, and it's brilliant. With money, checks, suitcases of money to give you anything to pray for them, their sick one, their loved one, their... And let's say that you are beyond money, that you are beyond $10 billion of... Let's say you're that spiritual. We all like to think we are, but we've never, we've never faced that. Every time you pray for one person... There's 5,000 people you can't pray for because you're one, per one person in one space. The media will tear you apart. Just think about it for a second. Right? Why didn't they do this? And why aren't they doing that? So they should, I mean, you will, the criticism. The, the only person who's ever actually faced that was Christ. He never prayed for one who wasn't fixed. Not one. He never prayed for a person, never helped a person, he never touched a person that wasn't transformed like that. And yet, he spent so much time just being with people, having dinner, sitting with them, talking to them, with groups, with individuals. Eleni and I were speaking the other day when I was at their house, and she said one of the things that touched the heart, after Jesus rose from the dead, he made fish for his disciples. 
Does he understand and know something about fellowship and its power that maybe you and I don't? Leonard Leonard Ravenhill said, the most precious thing you ever handle is the human soul. (laughs) The value Jesus had for people astounds me. Astounds me. For the one. For the group. For that tribe. It astounds me. Because he understands something about the supernatural power and impact of true biblical fellowship. It's actually the design of God. 1 Corinthians 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. Speaking about the church being made up as members of Christ's body. The Bible says you cannot say, I have no need of this one or that one. You can't. If you do say it, you've not understood the gospel or Christianity at all. Biblical fellowship. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. It's the definition of love. Love does not seek its own desire. 1 Corinthians 13. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. It's not just not listening. I'm going in the opposite direction. And I'm coming against wise judgment. You know that God has an arsenal of tools that he uses to to be with us, to teach us things, to help us, to love us. Do you know that other people are one of his primary tools to express to you the nature and character of God? Other people. Other people are also one of the primary tools he uses to mature and knock edges off your life. People. It's, it's his design. And I think he knows what he's doing. He's pretty smart. He's the Lord. He designed it like that. And so I encourage you, as much as you love Jesus, please hear me today. Understand that the people around you, look around. Look around the room real quick. Make it awkward. Look at people. Look at people. Right? These people are close to God's heart. And God has designed it that they should be close to yours too. Third point, covenantal fellowship. And I'm going to try to get through this as fast as I can. Covenantal fellowship. The deepest form of relationship that a person can have is when there's a covenant involved. There's different types of relationships we have in the world. I have a relationship with unbelievers, but I have a relationship with believers, with God's people, with my wife, with my kids. Whenever there's a covenant involved, it's far greater depth. I ask you to ask yourself, don't answer me. Do you believe in your heart that the depth of relationship between believers is far deeper and greater in its possibility than any relationship with an unbeliever? Doesn't make them bad or wrong or worse. We all have the same value. I'm not saying that. But there is a covenant. You and I are covenanted to one another eternally forever by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is a possibility of the depth of relationship that very few churches experience. It's not been the experience of many. And whenever there is a covenant, it can also cause more pain. That's why divorce hurts so much. But whenever there's a covenant, the possibility of deep biblical fellowship is beyond what we can understand. 
And it's very seldom experienced in the church. And partly because those with this revelation come along and try to tell people what to do and set up something that they think should be so that they can experience it. And I encourage you, flip it around in your heart. Ask God to teach you how to love people like he loves people. One of the, sometimes nature gives us the best descriptions of biblical truth. And one of the ways I, I, I've seen this in nature is if I love nature. I, I love nature. I used to study nature. I just have a desire and a love for it. But you know the redwood and the sequoia trees, like in California, you know they're the biggest trees in the world. I think the biggest one is Hyperion. I think it's about 40 or 50 stories high. I mean, it's big, almost 400 feet, biggest trees in the world. We are always taught, if you want to build something big, you've got to go deep. Yeah, well, not so with this. They have some of the shallowest roots of all trees. Why? Because they only go 6 or 12 feet down, which is not deep considering, but they actually stretch wide underneath the ground and they look for the roots of the other redwood next to it. And if you look at it from an organism, it's like one organism that the whole forest has a net of roots that goes underneath. So it's like saying, if you want to push me over, you literally got to push the whole forest over. It's impossible. This is the biblical fellowship, the way it's designed by God. We are sometimes taught even... No, how do I say that? We sometimes hear to be very spiritual. We have to have such a deep root, I understand, so that we can stand big and strong by ourselves. But actually, there's a net of God's people under the ground. And those are the biggest trees in the world. Cars literally drive through them. You know, they've made it big enough. It's, and their roots don't go so deep. You know, that research tells me that the number one reason people leave church, number one reason, is because they couldn't find fellowship. I would think it's for doctrine, the presence of God. That's the way a preacher thinks. If you don't have the presence of God, let's go home. That's just, that's the way I think, and that's true. But it's, it's not generally true for most people. The number, reason people, number one reason people leave church is because they couldn't find a relationship. The number one reason people join a church is because they're seeking genuine heart-to-heart -heart relationship. And they can find it with God's people that they actually have a blood covenant with. We need to peel back our culture and say, God, teach us again. Teach us again. So, what was the background of Acts chapter 2? I'm going to have to go through this fast. What was the background of Acts chapter 2? Why was there some historical and practical background to why they expressed straight away a church's birth? They've been, they were cut off from the temple. There were no temple funds. They literally created their own banks. They were cut off. You're on your own. And they flourished. It wasn't just because of prayer. It was because of what I'm talking about here. Let me give you a little bit of historical. I'm going to go through quickly a little bit of history. The fellowship of blood covenants historically, like in the world, even with pagans, and then biblically. People groups have practiced covenants as far back as we can remember. It was, it's the earliest and oldest form of covenant known to man. And this is the way it was generally practiced in a community or in a tribe. 
there was discussion with a friend and a priest or someone who represented the unseen realm, a shaman, a priest, or a witch doctor, whatever. There would be discussion with this guy and they would bring the spiritual guy, you know, bring the spiritual buddy. And then they would discuss. Then they would, you know, form conditions or terms of this agreement under this covenant. Then they would discuss what are the consequences if it's broken. I've seen this in Sudan. We ran into kids that have cuts and scars and beads with their skin on their face. And when I looked at that, I thought, wow, I imagined grabbing this child and slicing up his face. And we asked the children, they said, no, this is my protection. Because if another tribe sees me and touches me, they know where I'm from. They touch me, they deal with everyone that is like this. They understand it. So they discussed the consequences. Then they would cut themselves. They would cut themselves mostly here on the wrist. They would cut a deep gash. They would put gunpowder or ash. This was happening even up to the Civil War. And it would form a thick black scar. And these people would be known as covenant people, covenant men and women. The modern version is a wedding ring. I don't have mine on today, but my wife's here. I just realized that. I was like, I can't even... But the modern version is a wedding ring. It's far less painful. They would rub the wounds together, which don't do this spiritually, just don't do this, but they would become blood brothers. That's where we get the term. Then there would be an exchange. They would exchange gifts and clothing, representing clothes off my back. That's where that comes from. Meaning what I have is yours, what you have is mine. Mutual provision. They would then uh, uh, exchange some sort of weaponry, mutual protection. If something happens to you, I'll come to your aid. Something happens to me, you'll come to my aid. And then this would be sealed by a covenant meal. This goes back as far back as people can remember. I think it may come up behind you. I'm not sure. To demonstrate what each partner had was now available to the other partner whenever needed, they would then exchange some sort of article of clothing and then weapons of some type to demonstrate that each would come to the other's aid whenever they were being attacked by an enemy and needed help. One of the examples you see of this is when Jesus knocks Paul off his horse and says, why are you persecuting me? He wasn't. He was persecuting Christians. Covenant. Touch them, you touch me. An enemy was now one, an enemy of the other, and at the end, all they did, what they, at, at the end of everything that they had done, they would have a meal together to demonstrate friendship. The covenant meal was the final binding demonstration of a newly made covenant. It's actually where we get the tradition of a husband and wife get married and they eat a piece of cake together. What about biblically? You guys still with me? In, in the Bible, the biblical word for covenant in Hebrew actually means to cut. So we get the phrase, cut a deal. I'm going to cut a deal. It actually means to cut. All through scripture, you see blood covenants. Blood covenants. And I cannot go into the power of covenant and blood, and there's many sermons we can preach on that. With Abraham, it was a blood covenant. With Moses, it actually says, when they made the covenant, he says, he sprinkled the blood on the people. He says, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then what happened? Exodus 24. It says, they went up the mountain and they saw God, the 70 elders of Israel. They saw God and they ate and they drank covenant meal. They were covenanted to God and to each other. And they understood what that meant. They understood it deep in their hearts. Jehovah became the only protector. Cloud on the fire. He became the only provider. Jehovah Jireh, the provider. He became the only healer. I am the God that healeth thee. All of these. Provider was the water, the quail, the manna, all that. He demonstrated his side. 
Now, how does this relate? People say you're talking about fellowship. How does that relate to fellowship? Well, Matthew 26. Jesus came and shed his own blood on the cross, without which we are separated from God. And he said this, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said to them, drink, it, drink from it, all of you, for this is the, the blood, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He then, he told them before that, he said, go find someone and set up a place where I can eat Passover with you. And I'll skip over this for the sake of time. Many commentaries talk about this. Jesus took it from an Old Testament Passover meal into a biblical covenant meal. That's actually what he did. He took it from a Passover, then he said, but this is a new covenant with my blood. They suddenly would have understood John 6 when all the disciples walked away, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They would have said, oh, now I understand. And he shed his blood and, well, he hadn't died yet, but he took his blood and his body and he shared with them this covenant and he said, this is the new covenant and they ate together. They understood it. It was close to their custom. It was close to what they understood. They knew in their hearts, this is a covenant meal. This binds us. This establishes it. It was extremely serious in that culture. In fact, it was so serious that if two tribes had done this, or, or, or two couples, like, you know, different people had done this, and one of them disobeyed it, the wife or the family of that person would go and kill them to demonstrate to this other tribe it wasn't our desire that he, d he didn't listen so that the covenant could stay in place. It was extremely serious to these people. Jesus took an Old Testament Passover meal and made it a covenant meal. They entered into covenant with each other that was different than the Old Covenant. Now the early church, Acts chapter 2, that's why I'm talking to you about it. The early church understood this. It was part of their custom. It was part of their culture. I'm seeing someone right now born in the congregation, born in the Middle East, doing this. She's like, teach the Westerners. Yes, yes. It was part of their culture, part of their custom. They understood covenant meal. We bound together by blood. Then, and it always was mutual provision, mutual protection. That's why I think Peter was like, you know, in Acts 10, and the disciples, they were like, you, you want to share this with like the whole world? How's it going to work, Lord? Like with mutual provision and protection. I mean, I don't have that much money. You know, like how's this going to, yeah, you know? Well, the New Testament teaches you through the expression of local bodies. Local churches. Local families. And they understood that here. And they had been cut off from the temple system. They said, no problem, we have a new covenant and we've had a covenant meal with our God and with our master, just as they did with Moses. So we're gonna bring everything we have together and we're gonna live together and we're gonna pray together and we're gonna eat together and God will look after us. And that's exactly what happened because they understood biblical covenantal fellowship and they opened their hearts to one another. We spoke of a mark or a seal. Every covenant had a mark or a seal. What is the, the mark or the seal that we have as a new covenant believers together? Well, I believe there's two. One for the world and one for the spiritual realm. John chapter 13. We all know where I'm going. 
What does it say? I think I got it here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. You know the Old Testament law, they would have heard it as a Jewish person, was what? They said, what's the highest law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart. Then the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, that's great, but now I'm asking you to love each other the way I love you. Literally, that's what it would have been in their mind. He said, it's not love your neighbor as yourself. That's great, but actually love one another as I love you. This is the new part of this new covenant. Part of the command I'm giving you is learn to love one another that way. Because now I'm about to make it possible. Why? Because when a person gets saved, the Bible says they receive a new heart and a new way of thinking, and they renew their mind according to the word. And the Bible says in Romans 5 that when a person gets saved, the love of God, the agape, the way God loves, he sheds it abroad in a human heart. He never asks something that he doesn't make possible. He says, I'm going to put myself into you. And I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to give you the way I love. I'm going to put it into your heart. So love one another. It's literally what he said. And that is a mark. What does he say? For this, by this, by this, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the Old Testament, it was the presence. If the presence of God doesn't go with us, what else distinguishes us? That's still true. But in the New Testament, it's love. It's the presence of God, yes, but that builds something. It's love. People are getting saved into a context. I'm, I'm asking us, as a, I'm not trying to be serious. I'm just being real. What is the church known for? Is it known for this? No. Not really. Mostly the church is known for what it disapproves of, the pointing religious finger. You're bad and you're bad and we're better. They had such a love for each other, sacrificial love, love when it hurts, such a love that people looked at it and said, man, how do they do that? Biblical fellowship. Why? Because they got new hearts. There's also a seal that God will give you for the supernatural realm. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. That's not sealed like as in Ziploc. That's sealed as in branded. Pshht, marked. You were marked by God. Like those little kids I saw in Sudan. Whom you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of his glory. What is it saying? Say, you, I will mark you with my own spirit. That shows ownership to the enemy. Mutual provision. Mutual protection. You touch him, you touch me. But the enemy knows if you don't know that. And he has a field day with you. We have to see it. We are marked by God's own spirit. And that's a signal to all the super, supernatural realm. You touch me, you touch Yahweh. That's covenant, friends. There's a strength of biblical fellowship. There's a depth of biblical fellowship that I, I, I've been praying for years. God, show me. Show me how to foster it. Show me how to 
Because you can have a massive church and, and no one knows each other. You can have a small church and it's the same. It's not about size. But there's a longing. There's something in the human heart, in believers, even part of the new nature. The Bible says we've become partakers of the divine nature. Even though we have his nature, we, have, we are partakers of his nature. There's something in the human heart that is not satisfied, that is not fulfilled by God's design without other people. People who have a blood covenant with you. We're going to know each other forever. You ever think about that? Forever. Like, you know, heaven's a big place, but forever. Like, for, forever. So, you know, learn to get along. Forever. You know, the Bible in 1 John says, the fellowship we have with the Father, in, I'm paraphrasing, but when you come to be saved, he says, and the fellowship we have the Father, you will have with us, so that your joy may be full. 1 John. When you fellowship with believers, it is actually part of God's structure and design to fill you with strength, because the joy of the Lord is our strength, to fill you with joy, to fill you with life. And most people look at other Christians and like, oh, they drain me. Ah, I'm just being real. The church is God's house where we come together to fill each other with encouragement, with life, with joy, which is strength. Because we're not of the world. <laughs> I was going to read these. Maybe you can just throw them up at the back. We'll end with this. I encourage you to go home and look at it. If you want the notes, email the office. I'm sure they can send them out. There's 59 one another's of the New Testament. Have you ever read them? This is the most practical thing. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. In other words, get up close with the dirty stuff of people's lives and help them clean it. Be devoted to one another, number eight, in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. I like 12. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another as Christ accepts you. Whoa. He accepted me when I was all sorts of a mess. There's so many. Instruct one another. My older sister would say, yeah, I like that one. I'm going to talk later on what to do. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, teenagers are going, you see, the Bible's not bad. <laughs> you know, maybe it is just greet one another warmly with what's according to your culture. I love when I greet some of the people from Brazil and stuff and they give me a kiss. It's awesome. I'm like, man, they love me. You know? Dwayne loves us, by the way. If you found Dwayne, he just loves it. Just hug him, give him a kiss all over. If you keep on 21, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. There's many I could go over. 37, encourage one another. 38, encourage one another. 39, build each other up. 40, encourage one another. <laughs> Go to the last one. Love one another. 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 Simple devotion, basic simple devotion, is to ask the Lord to teach us as a body, to teach us as individuals, as families. What does it mean? To have biblical fellowship. What does it mean to have an open home? What does it mean 
to love someone the way God loves them. The Bible says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. Meaning what? The one relationship with him colors all the rest. Can we stand? Dad, can you come pray for us, please? I learned this from the home I grew up in. I had to obviously study in scripture, but I can honor them because they, they modeled this. And so I'd love you to pray for us. I loved that. I honestly did. I felt like I got ministered to deeply. Father, we want to thank you that you have created it in a way that for us to walk into all that you have, for us to experience you, it happens in community. As we've heard your word, Lord, take this and put it in our hearts and teach us practically what that means for each one of us. Please don't let this just pass in one ear and out the other. And when we're uncomfortable because we have to reach out, we will say thank you. Because we know growth is at hand. Growth is at hand. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we can say, Father, Father. Thank you, Father. And we as brothers and sisters, as your sons and daughters, together we say, thank you, Father. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Ken, and thank you, Clay. I'm going to love Clayton right now by not telling you that today is his birthday. Wait the whole service. I won't tell you it's his birthday. I also won't sing happy birthday. Uh, that is a personal favor, me not singing. But I can't stop any of you, and I won't stop any of you from singing happy birthday to him. If, here we go. I won't tell you how beautiful that sounded. None of this ever happened. If you would like prayer for anything and everything, there will be a trained ministry team over here that would love to pray with you. If you visited today for the first time, thank you for coming. Please remember to grab a gift bag on your way out. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week. Oh, and veterans come up and sign Clayton's Bible. Good morning, Free Life Church. We are glad you've joined us today. If you are visiting in person, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag and find out how to connect with us. We look forward to meeting you. Our last encounter night of the year is this Saturday, November 13th. Come out for an amazing evening of encountering God through worship. Loud and Burn 24-7 will be here on November 20th from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. for a full day of worship and prayer. There will be a special time of testimonies and ministry in the evening from 6 to 9 p.m. Stop by any time throughout the day and stay as long as you'd like. Child dedications are coming up. 
If you have a baby or young child, we invite you to present them for prayer and blessing on Sunday, December 5th. Registration is open now through November 30th. Our Living Free Ministry would love to help you restore a deeper connection with the Lord. We have a few appointments remaining this year. Dump the baggage and walk into 2022 finally free. Email livingfree at freelifechurchva.com for details. The holidays are coming. Stay informed of upcoming events by subscribing to our weekly newsletter. Scan the QR code or text FREELIFE to 41400 to sign up. And remember, to learn about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for tuning in.